If you have been with us, we're what, five weeks? Five weeks now into a sermon series on the spiritual gifts. We've been taking a look at the 21 spiritual gifts that are laid out in the New Testament. Some would say this list isn't exhaustive or complete, but uh, the 21 that we see laid out in the scripture anyway, and we've seen them clustered together, kind of we've been handling them, handling them in groups of uh, love gifts, um, word gifts, and power gifts. I've been loving this series. I hope that you have as well. One of the things I love about this series most is I think it pushes us all outside of our comfort zones doesn't matter who you are. So if you grew up in a more conservative church expression, probably gathered centrally around the preaching and teaching of the word, some of the talk of the expression of these gifts is probably making you a little uncomfortable. Um, others here, you grew up in a more charismatic church, probably centered largely around the worship ministry, and, uh, and you're comfortable with the expression of the gifts, but a lot of this teaching might, might feel a little stifling, might feel a little uncomfortable, wondering like, what... Maybe you've never had that. There's others here. Um, you're brand new to church, and this is just weird. Welcome. Um, welcome. I, I acknowledge this has got to be weird, but we are a people who love the Bible. We believe that this is God's principal way of communicating with us. Um, and, and in it, we see lots of talk about spiritual gifts. And so what we wanted to do is not just do a quick and short series or maybe a one-off sermon on this. We wanted to deep dive, really scrape the bottom of this, find out everything God's speaking to us. And, and, and he's not silent about these things. And so this is a longer series, but it's been fantastic. Now, for some, that's going to be nudging you outside of some boundaries that maybe you have drawn in the sand. For others, maybe that's pushing you back inside. Um, these aren't boundaries that we're making up, but there is some boundaries, there is some guidelines, there's some instruction in the word most certainly. And so this morning, we're just going to continue on doing just that, taking a look at what the Bible has to say about this. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you want to grab your Bibles, go ahead, open them up. We're going to look at three things this morning um, that I see jumping out of the text. The first is the mission of God for the body. The second is the necessity of the body for the mission. And thirdly, the attitudes that restrict our effectiveness so will you grab your Bibles, let me pray, and then we will get going. Well, Father, as is already prayed, I'm, I'm wholly dependent on you. I can't ignite your word. I can't communicate it in a way that's going to change hearts or minds even. This is your work, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd use the gifts that you put in me for the, the building up of the body and you've put me here in this body, so the gifts that you've put, me, put in me to, to um, really just catalyze and ignite your words to fire in all of us, would you do that work in and through me? And I'm so dependent, so broken, and just so enamored and, and awed by the grace that you've put uh, over my life that I would even be saved, let alone getting to be used. So I, I need you, and collectively we need you. So I commit this to you, Holy Spirit, and pray that it would glorify you, Father God, and pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, as we pick it up in 1 Corinthians 12, you'll remember in verse 4 to 10, Paul has been talking about um, some of the gifts, some of the specific gifts, and he concluded in verse 11 by saying, all of these, so all of these individual gifts that we've been looking at, 
They're empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions or who gives them out or doles them out to people individually as he will. So God's the one who gives out these gifts um, and decides who they go to and when and how many they get and all of that. This morning, we're going to see Paul transitioning um, from kind of a zoomed-in view on the gifts specifically to a zoomed-out perspective, and he's going to show us how these things hold hands, how they cooperate, how they function together. Um, so where we've been looking at a macro level, we're going we're to zoom out, and we're going to see things um, on a whole in a greater perspective. So in verse 12, he continues on now talking about these gifts. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members... Of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body, he says, does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, if you've grown up in church, this language of body, it's been thrown around a lot. You're probably quite familiar with it. This idea that collectively we make up a greater whole. We're all needed in order to make the body work. But what we might not realize is this body motif, this body analogy that Paul is using here, it's a pretty well-used image. It's a well-worn image, even in this time. So one of Paul's contemporaries, a guy by the name of Seneca, <coughs> famous Roman philosopher, he also used this body image, imagery and, and analogy and this motif in the exact same era that Paul lived. This was getting used thrown around quite a lot. In fact, you can go back 500 years from Paul, and this body motif is alive and well and being used. Um, if you're familiar with Aesop, Aesop, 500 years before Paul, about he's using this imagery in, in an, one of his fables called The Body and the Feet. The Body and the Feet. I found this in this Aesop's fable book I have that I read to my kids and then I decipher and kind of provide some biblical worldview and perspective on these fables. But it's up on the screen just so you can see um, how it was being used at the time. Aesop says this, One fine day it occurred to the members of the body that they were doing all the work and the belly was having all the food. So they held a meeting and after a long discussion decided to, to strike work till the belly consented to take its proper share of the work. So for a day or two, the hands refused to take food, the mouth refused to receive it, and the teeth had no work to do. But after a day or two, the members began to find that they themselves were not in a very active condition. The hands could hardly move. The mouth was all parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the rest. So thus they found that even the belly in its dull, quiet way was doing necessary work for the body, and that all must work together for the body, or the body will go to pieces. Um, Aesop's fables, they were being told in this Greek militaristic society in a way um, that sort of illustrated the need for the subordinate classes to support those above them. The story made the feet out to be the common man or the soldiers, the belly, within this Greek context, the general. And so they would tell fables like this to illustrate the need for people to all fulfill their societal function so that the body didn't fall to pieces, as he said. It was told to keep them functioning within their societal level, regardless of how demeaning the task, because it was for the betterment of society as a whole. The message was, get in line. Get in your place. Do your duty. What first century listeners would have heard when Paul began to use this language, and where their mind would have gone immediately, is to how 
this body analogy was used in that day and age. The way Paul used the imagery here, however, would have been shocking. It would have been shocking to hear him say this because what Paul does with his use of it is he turns this metaphor right upside down and along with it, the whole idea of Greek hierarchy. Now notice with me here, Paul does not say they're the body of Rome. So do your duty. He doesn't say you are mere servants to the general, fall in line and do the task that you're supposed to. Whereas the body imagery would have been used to denigrate people to their societal task, Paul uses this to elevate them to their spiritual position. Very important to note. So in verse 12, he says, just as the body is one and as many members, all the members are of one body and so it is with Christ. Verse 27, he says, now you're the body of Christ and individually members of this. And when we hear this, we might be prone to think with the church. And that's true. Verse 27 says that. That's true. We collectively are one body. But I don't want us to miss something that I've already read and we probably have missed. I missed it for the longest time. Take a look again at verse 12. Verse 12, it says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of, and all the, members of the body, though many are one body... So it is with Christ. So it, not so it is with the church. So it is with Christ. Christ is described as being community. Now, why? How is Christ made up of many members? Why is Jesus described as community? Well, the first thing we need to know here is that Jesus is described as community because of where he came from, where he came from. At the center of the Christian faith is this guy, Jesus. Uh, he, he says he's divine. In fact, in John 8, 24, he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Um, and in here, he's actually using the divine title of God, I am, that God revealed himself through the burning bush with. What he's doing is he's claiming divinity, He's using the name of God. He's saying he is God, not just a creation of God or some form of God or some guy that God's taken up residence in, but that he is God. But then, as if understanding God wasn't difficult enough, we see Jesus, who claims to be God, being present at the same time as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And what we discern from the scriptures is that God while God is one, he is also, we would call theologically, a Trinitarian God. He's three in one. This word triune, tri meaning three, un meaning one, three in one. And this is important to catch. This is an important note, and this is actually a really good note. Because if God were not Trinitarian, he could not be a God that is love. Love can't exist within a monad needs community. Love can only exist within the context of community. So if God, one of God's eternal attributes is that he is love, he has to have eternally existed within community. This is why the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God, is the only God who can actually have the attribute of love. 
So what the Bible teaches is that Jesus came from loving, eternal community, and this is why Jesus is described as literally being community in verse 12 of our text today. He came from community. His very nature is community. But in order to understand everything that Paul is getting at, we need to not just know where Jesus came from, but what he came for. The message of the New Testament of the Bible is what Christians refer to as the gospel or good news. And the gospel is that God created us for relationship with himself. John said this, this is eternal life, that they know you. We were created for relationship with God. But the pride of man and because of the rebellion in our hearts, there was a separation that ensued and that broke this relationship. But because of the overabundance of love and community within the Trinity, God came down in the form of Christ, sent his son to earth to reconcile us, repair this breach in relationship, and restore us to community with himself. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the, the pinnacle of the whole scriptures. This is the message of it. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, we read, Jesus came to reconcile us to relationship with the Father. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. We were lost. We were outside of relationship. God came down out of the overflow of community and brought us back into community. So this is important. He came from community <clears throat> to restore the break in community and to leave behind community. Jesus came from community to restore the break in community and to leave behind community. And let me show you where I'm getting this from. If you would, in your Bibles, hang a right, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, I want to read... Um, from verse 22. Uh, verse 22, just so you know where we're, because we're going to drop in right in the middle of uh, one of Paul's famous lengthy sentences. Um, preceding the verse I'm going to jump in on is seven verses of pure run-on sentence. Um, let me try to explain this, though. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, this tail end of this big run-on sentence, and then it says, and he, meaning God, put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus. So God put all, thing under, all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, important, important and, and central and actually vital for us in understanding every member and really what the church is to do is understanding God's purpose for the church. We need to understand God's purpose for the church. And the first point I want us to see is that we are to be the fullness of Jesus here on earth. It should be up on your screen. It's the fullness of Jesus here on earth. So when we understand the purpose of God for his church, it becomes clear why we need all the individuals in order to pull this off. We need all the gifts that God's distributed in this room, in the body, in order to be able to accomplish this. It'd be silly to try to pull off such a monumental task without all of the members. It'd be like playing a hockey game and saying, we're just going to put three people on the ice, and not only are we going to leave the other three on the bench, we're going to tell the whole bench to take their skates off and go hang out in the change room. You're going to need everyone. You're going to need everyone. In order to be the full representation of Christ on earth, we're going to need the full representation of the souls that he's purchased the souls that he's gifted. But there's a second 
purpose that Christ has for the church. Hang a right in Ephesians with me. We're going to go to Ephesians 3 and read in verse 8. He says this, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what's our second point? The second purpose is that the manifold wisdom of God be put on display. The church is God's plan for the world. We are God's plan for North Vancouver. The church collectively, we are God's plan for the world to make his manifest wisdom or to manifest his wisdom and make it known. To word it differently, the church is the stage on which God wants to display his redemptive power, his power to transform lives. If God's done a work in someone, he wants to put it on display, and the church is the display case. It's the mantle, it's the trophy shelf, where he wants to put his workmanship up. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. He wants the world to see what he's done. He wants to put his wisdom on display so others can marvel at the power and what he can do with a life when he gets into it. And so the purpose for the church is to be the fullness of Jesus here on earth, to put the manifold wisdom of God on display, but thirdly, to engage in the mission of the world because the church is the vehicle through which the mission and plan of God are to be fulfilled. What plan? Um, the plan of reconciling all things to himself. I already quoted uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says that Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, but then it says he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We take up the same ministry that he came with. In John 17, you remember the high priestly prayer? Jesus prays and says, just as I have been sent into the world, I'm sending them. We have the same mission as Christ, which is reconciling people to the Father. And Wes, this, this is why our, our mission statement is that we exist to make Jesus known. Because this is the mission of the church. We, we seek to reconcile people back to the Father. And it's only after we begin to understand this and this purpose for the church that we can begin to understand the importance of every member in accomplishing this. The mission of God can't be accomplished without every single member, every single gift being active. active. What God created you and me for is going to take all of us. It cannot be done solo. I'm not sure if, uh, if you're familiar uh, with the Footprints in the Sand poem. It's up on the screen. It's a, just one of the greatest works of poetry in all of history, right? Uh, this is Christianity's gift to grandma's washroom. Um, <laughs> if you're familiar with it, you know uh, it's the story of two people walking along the beach. And at one point, the guy looks back and he's like, hey, there's only one set of footprints. Where did you go, Jesus? And Jesus says, that's when I was carrying you. Now, it's cutesy, uh, but it's incorrect. We're not out for a stroll with just us and Jesus walking down the beach, waves lapping up on shore. It's, a, it's not a picture of what the church actually is or the Christian life is, but it's probably one that we have in our heads. Walking with Jesus, following Jesus, it's done in the context of community. John 
13, 35, it says, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. John, um, John says this, and actually this word one another, it appears over 100 times in the New Testament. Because if you take a look at it, it's really enforcing this idea that our walk is done in community and we need one another. Christianity is not a solo sport. We need community in order to function as the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ. We can't pull that off without community. And the Bible unmistakably calls us to this. We've taken a look at the three uh, purposes that God has for the church. Now I want to talk about three reasons why we need community in order to accomplish them. The first reason is that we need community in order to fully reflect him into the world. We've already read in Ephesians 1 that the church is the fullness of him here on earth. Now, to be described as a church community, as the fullness of God on earth, man, that should blow our minds, one. But two, that is humbling. It's almost a little daunting, isn't it? We're the fullness of Jesus on earth. We're the fullness of Jesus here in North Vancouver. It's perplexing. But to be described as the fullness of God as an individual, it's an impossible thing. It's absolutely impossible. Since God exists as a triune, the idea of reflecting him fully as an un, it's probably heretical. The idea that we could reflect a God who can't be contained it hurts the brain to even imagine how we could try to pull that off. Back to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. It says, The eye can't say to the end, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. We're going to need everyone in order to, to accomplish this mission of fully reflecting God into the world. We need community, and we need a, the variety of gifts within the community in order to do this. It's like if God asked us to paint a picture of him. We can't, he, he's given gifts to all of us. We all, if you will, to, to milk this analogy, he's given us all different colors, different crayons, different tubes of paint. But in order to paint a full picture of what's going on, we're going to need one another. We're going to have to blend some of our colors. We're going to need to borrow. We're going to need everyone in order to accomplish the painting of this picture, this task that he's given us, which is reflecting him into the world. There's a second reason we need community, and, and that's in order to defend against our enemy. If you've ever watched Nat Geo or uh, BBC documentary, I love these things. This is what I'm going to do this afternoon. Um, Blue Planet 2. You've ever seen that tribe of antelope in Africa uh, walking along, and then dun, 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 all of a sudden, the lion comes up. What's the lion trying to do? He's, he's trying to div divide that that herd of antelope. He's trying to get one weak one, the young one. He's trying to find one apart from the pack so he can pounce on it and eat it. And it makes for great TV, right? It's fantastic. But the antelope needs community in order to stay alive. The Bible, likewise, tells us that we have an enemy, and it describes him as a prowling lion. An enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. God has made us to need community 
to pull off what he's put in front of us. In the same way, an antelope's not going to walk across the Serengeti solo. A Christian cannot walk through life solo. Cannot walk through life solo. We're made for community. We need community in order to defend against the enemy. You need the spiritual gifts that are scattered across this room and throughout the body. The other people in the body need the gifts that God's put in you in order to defend against the enemy. But there's a third reason that we need the body, and that's in order for Christ to be fully formed in us. If you've ever seen uh, the statue of Michelangelo's um, carving of David, anybody seen that in Florence? A beautiful sculpture, just beautiful sculpture. The story behind it's really interesting. Um, um, passed through several different artists, and one guy had, had crafted a, the outline of a set of legs, and then he, he pieced out and disappeared. And so there's this giant block of marble, and eventually Michelangelo, at a really young age, was contracted to carve it. He spent two years carving it. And if you've seen it, it's amazing. I was going to put it up on the screen, but it's a little graphic. And frankly, his upper body makes me jealous. So um, when he was asked how, how he was able to carve such a masterpiece, he said, I saw David in the marble. I saw David in the marble and I carved until I let him loose. I saw David in the marble and I carved until I set him free. If we've put our hope in Christ, believe that he took care of our sin, he made us right before God, we have the ability to one day stand in front of God and when he asks us, why, can I, why should I let you into my kingdom? We can say because of the merits of Christ because he came down and he stood in my place. He took my punishment he paid my debt, and he gifted to me his righteousness. So I'm showing up here, God, not with any bragging points at all other than Jesus gave me some. Amen. If we believe that, if we believe Galatians 2.20, when it says we've been crucified with Christ, then the rest is true. It says it's no longer us who lives, but it's him who lives in us. And the job of the Christian community, therefore, is to cultivate that character of Christ in us. It's to do the work of Michelangelo with the block of marble. It's to do what Proverbs 27, 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. We need the community. We need the gifts in this community in order to carve out that image of God that has been put inside of each one of us. What's unique about Christian community in this regard, though, is that Christian community doesn't recognize who we are and then shave off the excess like a psychiatrist or a counselor. It doesn't recognize our goals or our ambitions and then shave off the excess like a business coach or a mentor would. Christian community recognizes Christ in us, and it chips away until only Jesus is left showing. And we will not and we cannot be sharpened and shaped as we are to be and as God desires if we are not actively engaged in community. No one else in this world is going to look for Christ in you but another Christian. No one else is going to look for Christ in you and call that out and shape that in you except for the community of Christ. And we're going to need all of the gifts in this body, all of the gifts in this church and the church as a whole in order to be able to have this goal accomplished of Christ in us being brought to the surface. 
So, since the mission of God for the church is that we be the fullness of Jesus here on earth, that we put his manifold wisdom on display and that we engage in the mission that God has for the world, then we absolutely need one another. And let me just say, God has gifted you and you are needed. It's gonna take all of us. We absolutely need one another. And if we're gonna fully reflect him in the world and defend against our enemy and have the character of Christ called out and shaped in every single one of us, then we are absolutely gonna need other people around us. I wanna read on in uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 15. What what I want us to see here now is Paul's gonna begin to bring to the surface two attitudes, two beliefs that hinder this taking place, that would potentially keep us from functioning properly as a body, kind of symbiotically building each other up, working together, blending our, our, our colors, working um, gifts hand in hand in order to accomplish these purposes. There's two big attitudes, two big beliefs that are going to hinder this. The first of which is the feeling of uselessness. Read with me. Verse 15, I'll start in 14. For the body doesn't, and and we just said it can't, consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This first attitude, that of uselessness. Now, some of you here, you're believing the lie that you don't have anything that God could use. You feel insuperior, lesser than. Maybe you're not even certain that you have any spiritual gifts at all. And then even if you do, maybe you're a little frightened to begin to use them. On behalf of the shore church, can I just say that's a lie? That's a lie. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 4, 16, it says that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly And as each part does its own unique special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It takes all of the body parts. This is God's word. Stop believing the lie. You're not needed and that you have nothing to offer. Remember, we have an enemy who's trying to get you away from the body so that he can devour you. Not just so he can devour you. And and this is an important point to note. Satan has nothing against you. He really has nothing against you whatsoever. He has a big beef with God. Our job's to reflect God, and he wants to mar that image. He wants to mar that image. And so what he's trying to do when he comes for you is just destroy that image of God that we're to be, especially collectively. God has gifted you, and he does have a function for you. The body needs you. There are people here who need the gift that God has put in you. Parts of the body here are not functioning as they should because they don't have you alongside them in the same way my hand can't work without my forearm. And hear this, there are some here who are believing this lie and you don't even know it. 
You don't even know that you're believing it. But your thoughts and your actions would reveal it. Some of the ways this might manifest is, is the thought of going, oh man, they're going to be fine if I don't show up this morning. Body will be fine. It'll be okay if I just sleep in today or go hit, hit the links. There's more gifted people than me there who are already participating this morning. I'll be okay. There's no way I can serve that'll be helpful. I'm only going to slow them down. Some of you are underestimating the gift of God in you because you haven't started to, to develop it. You've never begun to fan it into flame. Gifts are deposited by the Holy Spirit, but they do develop. They do take time. This is why Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. There's a fanning into flame of it. Some of you, you're running on your pilot light. And as you begin to engage and others begin to pray for you, gas is going to be blown in and who knows what God's going to do. If you're showing up here and you're not serving, here's what I'm afraid of. That you're believing the lie of the enemy. You're useless. Or maybe even that God hasn't gifted you. And that it, they're just that. They're lies. I want to pray with you. As a church, we want to see these gifts develop in every single person because the scripture says very clearly every single person has been gifted. If you call Jesus Lord in short church home, you need to be using your gifts. You need to be serving because that's what God made you for. Because otherwise you're running on your pilot light. And we want to help you find out what your gift is and how you can be serving. As a body, we're committed to that. You're not meant to be an atrophied limb or a paralyzed arm. You're meant to be functioning. If you're from here, if this is your body and you would call this home, it's because Jesus has put you here to be a working, functioning part of this body. And there's more joy available to you than you've been participating in because you've been missing out on why God made you. Jesus' design is that you be functioning and you can't actually be all that he has made you to be apart from it. And this body can only function when every member is contributing. We need you. Those around you need you, and you need us. Those who don't know Jesus on the North Shore need you. And we can only be the full picture of Christ to them when we're all working together. Some of you, you're looking at others in the room or others in different ministries, and you go, man, I'm not that gifted. I couldn't do that. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you couldn't, but maybe you're just not gifted that way. Maybe you're gifted differently. And, and even if someone's better than you at something, doesn't mean you're not to do it. I'm not the best preacher in the world. I still have to get up and do it. Because this is how God's called me and gifted me. To use an analogy, I drive my car with two hands, but my right hand's a lot stronger. It's a broken analogy, but you still need both. All of us are needed in order to accomplish what God's given us. So some, you're buying into this lie that you're useless or that God hasn't gifted you, but on the other end of um, the pendulum, some have fallen into um, the other attitude, the other belief that can hinder growth that Paul brings up here. 
and that is of um, attitudes or feelings of self-sufficiency. I want to read again from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 21. It says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Because if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Now, I'll say this. This one can be a little bit more tricky to identify in ourselves uh, because you probably haven't walked up to somebody and just said, I have no need of you. Don't do that, please. If you have done that, don't do it anymore. Um, (laughs) But just because we haven't said it doesn't mean it doesn't exist in us. The attitude... Um, this one sadly usually affects people who are aware of their giftings and have actually spent years fanning them into flame, which is the sad part of this. Those who actually begin to see how God's gifted them, this attitude can creep in. Years into discipleship, suddenly we, we get a little swagger. And these feelings of uh, self-sufficiency sometimes are demonstrated by an unwillingness, unwillingness to let anyone else participate in, in our, our ministry area. You know, the attitude in our head could be, but I'm, I'm better at this than them. Let me take care of this. I got it. Or what, what could they offer that I can't? This attitude, it's not only stifled churches from functioning the way that they are meant to, restricted others in the body from actually developing their own gift. It's actually hindered church advancement. If you take a look at it... Um, there, there isn't preachers or, or worship leaders or community group leaders or prayer group leaders or Bible study leaders for new churches because there's members of the body who aren't giving other members opportunities to flex and grow and develop and fan into flame their gifts. F- feelings of self-sufficiency, they stifle church growth. But other times, um, those with the gifts have failed to fan in, uh, the, the gift into flame because they've resisted the opportunities that are available. So you can have feelings of self-sufficiency and still be failing to fan into flame your gift. The reason why is um, we look around and we, we, we see the way we want to use our gift and the way we feel our gift should be used and we don't want to use it in lesser capacities. Um, this is sad, but most churches I've been a part of, uh, I've seen men who feel called to ministry and yet refuse or, and, and feel called to teaching, refuse to use their gifts um, to serve the youth or the children of the church, as if this is some form of second-tier ministry. And what's taking place here is you're starving the youth and you're starving the children of the church, but you're also failing to fan into flame your own gift. And it's sad because children and youth are not second-tier ministry. In fact, um, statistically speaking, 80% of us came to faith before the age of 18. It's the most effective form of ministry. So can I just say, if you feel that you have that gift of teaching or preaching or or theological wisdom and knowledge and you're not using it, we actually have a great need right now. And you might be starving another part of the body that needs you 
And can I say that you need it to actually have that flame that, gifts put, that God's put in you developed to the capacity he wants it to be. But it's not just preachers. Lots of other ministry areas this takes place in as well. It applies to all of the gifts. Because you haven't been able to serve where you want to, you just haven't served. This uh, attitude of self-sufficiency can also manifest when we fail to share the ministry that we do. We, we wrongly assume no one can do it as well as we can, so we just don't share it at all. Sometimes this is a big one. The attitude of self-sufficiency, um, it can manifest when those who are paid to do ministry are wrongly assumed to be the ones primarily gifted to minister into a body. Some of you have been looking at me and James and thinking, or, or all of our paid servant staff of this body and thinking, oh, that's who ministers here. And it's just, it's not true. James and I are not self-sufficient. We really need you. We really need the whole body in order to be able to function as God has designed us. And, and we're not ministering as effectively as we can at what we're good at because we're doing other things that you're designed for. We need the whole body. Others may be criticizing the church because they don't see the, their preferred gifting functioning the way they think it should. You, it's probably the gift that you have, or maybe you most like, but you go, man, that hand should be doing more of this. That arm should be the head of the body. That leg should be the head of the body. So prophetic ministry will be prone to this. They'll leave ministries because they go, well, there's, this gift isn't being as favored as I'd like. Teachers will leave, well, because teaching isn't being as favored as I like. Prayer warriors will leave because, oh, we're not as prominent as I think we should be. Is this not just a feeling of self-sufficiency? Others of us are guilty um, of this attitude by failing to ask for help. We wrestle alone in silence while God has positioned others around us to help. Maybe the counsel that will help us, the, um, the encouragement that will lift us, or maybe even the prayer that would heal us. We don't use the other gifts, honestly, because we have a feeling of self-sufficiency. Can I suggest, short church, perhaps God's allowed the struggle you're going through right now so that somebody else can utilize their gift so that the manifold wisdom of God could be put on display for the world to see. So that we would know and the world would know that we're not on a solo walk with Jesus on the beach, but we're corporately walking together and being conformed into his image. Perhaps God's allowed you to struggle so that you would have to reach out and ask for help that someone else here can provide. And perhaps your attitude of self-sufficiency is stifling this. The body can't function as it's supposed to with either of these attitudes in display, and so it's very important that we search our hearts and find out if we're believing any of these. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to catalyze this church into greater ministry effectiveness, but it's going to take all of us. It's going to take every single body part functioning as it should. It's going to take every gift being active, every muscle being flexed, Everyone who calls this place home, who's part of this body functioning within it. Uh, the band's going to come forward, and I want to I conclude in a couple questions. 
And I want to encourage us to just take a minute or two. I think this is a really important section of scripture, and there's lots here, more than I could have pulled out of it this morning. What I want us to see is this great mission that God's called us to and the importance of every member. But I really want us um, to take a look at three things and, and, and spend a few moments in prayer before we come up and respond. First thing I want us to ask is, God, how have you gifted me? If the church is going to function and every single one of us has been gifted, this is vital. This is vital. We need to discover this. We need to know, pardon me, what God has made us for, what God has gifted us for, how God has gifted us to function within the body. We need to know this. How have you gifted me? If you don't know, again, we're going to have prayer couples up. I'm in the back. I'd love to pray with you. If you're not in community group, this is a beautiful place to begin to discern this and have others pray and discern with you. But you need to know how you're gifted. The scripture's clear. He has gifted you. He has. But secondly, I want to encourage you to pray and just say, God, how would you have me serve within the body? How would you have me function? If you're not serving, you need to be serving in order that Christ would come fully alive in you. How would you have me serve within the body? And then thirdly, pray and ask, God, is, are either of these attitudes at work in me? Are any of these attitudes at work in me? There's 20, script, 20 verses of the New Testament dedicated to this very topic because it's important, and I don't want us to miss it. So I want to spend a few minutes. I'm going to pray us out. Um, but afterwards, spend a few minutes and respond. Spend a few minutes, and then the band's going to begin to sing and I encourage you to just praise Jesus for what he's done. He's made you a part of this body. He's given you worth and value and dignity and purpose, and there's no other place in the world that you can find those things. Christ alone offers these to you. We're going to come forward, take the bread, dip it into the wine or the juice according to your conscience, and celebrate just this. Jesus has died to reconcile you to himself, to make you a part of this body. Reflect on that. Be wowed, and then sing. Sing like crazy, because he's good. And again, we have a prayer couple that would love to pray with you. Um, just as a way of response, um, if there's any here right now who maybe feel like, I know what my gift is, and I haven't been operating in it. Or maybe I don't know what my gift is and I haven't been operating, but I want to do both. I want to know and I want to actually be engaged. I want to encourage you to just take a minute and stand. I want to pray as a congregation as I close. Um, and I really believe there's some of us um, here who God wants to minister specifically in this way this morning there's a gift in you and you don't know what it is or there's a gift in you and you haven't begun to use it, I encourage you to just stand up. We'll pray for you. Let me close this in a word of prayer as you do this. Father, I thank you for um, just the promise of your word that you saved us intentionally. You gifted us with gifts and, and talents and supernatural um, spirit-empoweredness for the work of making you known, for the function of being the fullness of you here on earth. 
I pray this word would come alive and challenge. And Holy Spirit, I pray for these standing, just that you would begin to identify which giftings you've put in them. Maybe there's some who are feeling like they've never begun to flex a muscle that they've known has been in them for a long time. Maybe some are bitter because nobody's come up and said, hey, I see this gift in you. Would you come and use it? I pray that those who have felt restricted, those who have been afraid, who have never begun to flex the muscle that you, you intend them to be within this body, that they'd be encouraged, they'd be built up, that all of the gifts would be released, that we would function fully. And as Ephesians 4 says, grow up in all aspects to him who's the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint, that when it's properly functioning would cause the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. We want that. We want that in all of us, Father. So Holy Spirit, would you come and minister into every ear, every heart. Grow us as a body that we might fully express you into North Vancouver and make you known. And I pray this boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen.